welcome back to the Footy Talks live podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing things a little differently today. For the first time ever, I have my guest actually sitting across from me right now. Um, usually, we record these remotely, uh, breaking down the fourth wall for you there. I don't know if it's actually a fourth wall in audio form or how many walls there are, <laughs> but we won't worry about that because we've got a lot of soccer stuff to discuss. Um, I am joined by a regular guest on the show, I think it's fair to say now, Oliver Platt of Pro Soccer USA and the TFC Report. Ollie, thanks for joining me again. My pleasure. Um, I think it's uh, only fair to start with um, the biggest, you know, the biggest news in the soccer world right now, which is that we finally are down to two teams. We've got our Champions League final, uh, Liverpool versus Real Madrid. I think um, it's fair to say that Real Madrid's not an unexpected finalist. I mean, no. we've seen what they've done in the competition for the past few years, but at least at the start of this year, Liverpool, um, in terms of Premier League sides, you almost would have put both Manchester sides ahead of them, maybe even Tottenham in terms of teams that have gotten this far, but um, everything has changed, especially, uh, of course, when you talk about Coutinho leaving the team as well. Right, right. At the start of the season, this seems so ridiculous, but having watched them played now, um, this is going to be a really interesting final. It is. It's the final that, like, I have no idea either way how this is going to go. It feels like one of those where... You know, both teams have got a lot of firepower up front. They also have shortcomings in midfield and, and defence. Real Madrid on paper, I think, are by far the stronger team. Um, but Liverpool have been playing the better football throughout the tournament, really. So, And I believe the, the Roma second leg was their first loss. Um, so it's a really tough one to call, and I think it's just going to come down to, you know, is it Mo Salah or Cristiano Ronaldo on the day? Both teams are going to get chances. Yeah, that's very true. And, um, you know, I think with... Uh, with Liverpool, it's it's very interesting because um, you know they've definitely had the the weaker of the competitions to get here, um, but they have dominated as well. Real Madrid, they're they're a team that you know I know I've heard it described as them sleepwalking through this competition. Yeah. But you look who they sleepwalked through. Um, right. Their group had Dortmund and Tottenham. Um, then they go through three teams who are, well, very likely to win their league now that Napoli um, screwed the pooch in, uh, in Serie A a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Juve, PSG, and now Bayern, they've gone through those three teams. So as much as they still haven't looked great and uh, Zidane just seems to be throwing out his players sometimes, you know, they still have enough quality to uh, cause problems. Right, and, and it's kind of like, you know, they've... They, they were undoubtedly lucky against Bayern. I don't think there's any two ways about that. They probably should have lost that tie on the balance of play, but when they keep doing it over and over and over again, it kind of starts to look like it's not so much luck and, and more, you know, they have so much experience at this level. And, and 1 through 11, you know, they're not playing at their best right now, but they are as strong on paper as, as any team in the tournament. So it's going to be a really interesting final. I'm looking forward to it more than possibly a lot of recent finals we've had. Yeah, let's talk about that Bayern Real Madrid uh, semifinal really quickly because, like you said, um, Bayern, you know, they outplayed Real Madrid for most of both legs. Um, they had all kinds of shots. The expected goals is ridiculously mm. in Bayern's favor, um, but you know, just a couple of uh, of slips. I mean, you look at Rafinha. I don't know what he was doing there, and then. Sven Ulreich, I don't know even less what he was doing there on the back pass. And, um, you know, this is another time, I think it's, what, the fifth straight time that Bayern has lost against yeah. Spanish opposition and they just can't seem to get it done in Spain. So um, what does this say about the Bayern team and, um, you know, just coming up short once again? Um, I, I think it probably says that they need a bit more talent at both ends of the field. Uh, obviously in midfield and in terms of how they can control the game, there is 
good a team as anyone in the world. Um, but all right, you know, I've watched that back and I'm trying to get in his head and I think like, I think Benzema kind of panics him and he tries to jump on the ball. Then he remembers he can't pick it up and so he tries to <laughs> play with his legs. It was just a mess. But I think the combination of not having Manuel Neuer in goal to, to make, you know, a, key, a few key saves as Kaylor Navas did. And then up front, you know, Lewandowski, I think, has only got two goals in the, in the knockouts and they were both against Besiktas. So he's not really performed as they would have, would have hoped, sorry. And then you look at Ribery is getting a little bit older and probably not the elite player that he once was. And, you know, I think they were missing Kingsley Coman and, and some a bit more youth and, and energy and speed in the final third. So that's something they've got to figure out. But the problem for Bayern is, is that they, they're not willing to spend like Madrid and PSG and, and Barcelona do. So, you know, maybe there's another reclamation job uh, at Real Madrid like they did with James Rodriguez in, in Gareth Bale. Mm. Uh, they could try for this summer or something like that but it's tough to get that really high-end talent without paying big prices nowadays that's a good point is uh is Bale gonna kick the ball out you know to to respect his former team like yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be uh Real Madrid rejects next season but there's worse <laughs> things to have yeah that's that's very <laughs> true um one of the interesting things about this tie as well was the two guys um on both teams you would look at in terms of goal scorers uh that being Cristiano Ronaldo and Lewandowski neither of them scored mm. Ronaldo was limited to you know a very few touches throughout the two legs and um, didn't contribute a whole lot. And we know when Cristiano Ronaldo is not scoring, uh, he's not doing no, very no. much. Um, so you know, if you're Liverpool, do you look at uh, what Bayern did and what did Bayern do? Do you think to um, really shut down the the hottest player in the game? I think they mostly just controlled the game, really. And, and I think Liverpool have to play on the front foot. We know that if they are in their own half and trying to defend and trying to keep teams at bay they're just not very good at that um, and they won't be able to do that against the team in Madrid's quality so they've got to come out quickly as they did against Manchester City um, obviously they don't have the Anfield crowd which has been a big advantage for them um, but they've got to try and take the game to Madrid and, and get them on the back foot and get the first goal and if they can kind of you know firmly establish that seed of doubt and, and have Madrid chasing the game we know that they, they can then hurt teams on the break and, you know, Liverpool, um, you mentioned they're going to have to attack Real Madrid, and I, I think that's their best chance. But in that second leg, um, they almost lacked a bit of game management, it seemed, mm-hmm. where um, they just kept attacking. They didn't sit back, and sometimes you have to absorb a little bit of pressure, at least take the sting out of the game and pass the ball around a little bit. But uh, they seemed to keep going forward, and it worked for them for a bit. And then Roma had all kinds of chances. Uh, honestly, somehow they got a little lucky to get <laughs> Roma again, almost with another historic comeback, um, which would have been ridiculous. This was one of the first times where Liverpool kind of showed uh, you know, some issues. Yeah, it's crazy that like after what happened in the first leg, we all knew that it definitely wasn't over against yeah. the second leg. But there's still like there's some bad lapses back there for Liverpool. Like Trent Alexander Arnold, I think is going to be a really good player, and he's still young, but he's he makes mistakes at this level at the minute, and he did on Jacko's uh, goal, I think it was. And then the same goal, like Carius should hold that shot, I think, or at least push it out wide, and he pushes it in straight into Jacko's path. So um, you know Madrid are going to get chances. It's just a case of if Liverpool can maybe get the first goal and get themselves in in a strong position and obviously take their chances when they come as well. And you mentioned uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and 
Um, I think one of the most interesting things about this final will be uh, the wide play because yeah. uh, both of these teams have shown lapses at the fullback position and as well, um, especially in Liverpool's case, but you know Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Both of these teams have amazing world-class wide attackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you've got Lucas Vasquez back there like Real Madrid did in <laughs> yeah, uh, the last amazing. leg, that's not a, you know, that's not a player that you want going up against, uh, you know, the the best trio in Champions League history um, in terms of goals scored. Right. Uh, so what do you make of that wide matchup and uh, how big that will be in this game? Yeah, it'll be big and it, again it's just kind of like you could play this game 10 times and probably get 10 different scores and it's it's just going to be a case of you know who can come up with the big moments on the day I, I really don't think the defences are going to be able to uh, control this game and, and stop the kind of firepower that, that Liverpool and Madrid have like you know Ronaldo and Salah we know are world class players but I think Roberto Firmino has been one of the best players in Europe this season I love watching him and all the stuff he does off the ball to, to make Mane and, and Salah the players they are I think is um, he's definitely one of, one of if not the best number nine even though he's not traditional number nine um, one of the best players in that position in, in Europe, I think, at the minute. You mentioned this off the top, but uh, just that attacking chaos, and I mean, we saw a ridiculous amount of goals in uh, in these you know four games, and uh, the expected goals were even higher somehow. Yeah. So um, it, it was it was all kinds of chances, all kinds of goals. Um, you know, you usually uh, go into these semifinals and in the last couple rounds of of these competitions thinking that they're going to be a little bit cagey there's going to be um, a lot of defensive play but how great has it been I mean I know we mentioned mistakes and sometimes it's not the most uh, I don't know if you were tactically or defensively inclined I mean if you're a center back watching this game it might not be the most joyful thing but um, as someone who enjoys attacking football this yeah. has been a lot of fun yeah for sure and it's, it's interesting how the Champions League has kind of changed from that very defensive tournament to now you have a lot of attacking players and teams are kind of seeing that you know, high-end attacking talent and speed can, can win you this competition, which is now a contrast to the leagues because you've got teams like Man City and Barcelona who play as maybe a bit slower and very controlling style, um, you know, dominating the, the league tables. So it's interesting how the kind of roles have reversed in, in that sense. And, but it's, it's great because you get these fantastic one-off or, or two-legged ties. And this one will be very interesting as well because um, I think it's safe to say no lead will be safe in this Champions League final. Um, You look at Liverpool, they've given up uh, six goals in the last 15 minutes of their last four games. They've been outscored 6-0. Of course, in the 75 minutes preceding that, they've outscored their opponents 9-2. So this is going to be a very interesting final from from that regard that um, I don't think until that final whistle goes we'll uh, we'll know exactly what the result will be. And you know what Sergio Ramos is like from a late corner and things like that. There's (laughs) always potential for that. But yeah, it should be a great game. Um, let's move on to our game of the week um, this week that being the El Clasico I've kind of spoken on your behalf and we'll both uh, make the El Clasico our game <laughs> of the week one to argue against. yeah um, this is a game that it doesn't matter in the standings Real Madrid's in third and they're not catching Barcelona obviously Barcelona have already lifted the trophy but um, you talk about that unbeaten season and that's what mm-hmm. uh, Barcelona is going for now and you know they certainly won't, won't want that to um, be broken by Real Madrid by their biggest rivals um, so this is an interesting game I mean Real obviously they'll have their eyes on the Champions League but um, you, you, you won't think they won't pass up a chance to you know kind of derail Barcelona's season 
Right, and it's kind of, it's a weird dynamic because you have Barcelona obviously won the Champions League and this season doesn't really feel like a huge outright success to them, even mm. though they could win an unbeaten double, which yeah. is like pretty incredible. Uh, but then you have Zidane saying that the, the biggest trophy for him is La Liga because it's the kind of the biggest demonstration of, of who's been the better team over the full season. So, so it's a weird contrast, but um, I think when you look at the way this season started with the Super Classico and, or sorry, the Supercopa, um, and Real Madrid completely outclassed Barcelona and looks yeah. like a long way ahead at that point. Um, I think the way Barcelona have been able to kind of turn that around and steady that has been pretty impressive. So it's not going to be, even if they are finished, even if they do finish on Beeson, it's not going to be like a season for the history books for them probably. But I think it has been a good kind of platform to, to go on next season and build on it because it was really a mess uh, with Neymar leaving and uh, and that, you know, the losses they had to Madrid uh, back in August. So um, it's been a pretty steady season for them and I think we'll see bigger things next year. Yeah, and Real, they certainly have looked very different in the league than they have yeah. um, in, you know, in the Champions League. Um, so it's definitely going to be an interesting match. These are uh, two really solid clubs and um you know both of them uh, obviously real madrid could not win a trophy this year which yeah uh, or of course other than that um spanish super super Cup, Cup, but, yeah. yeah but um i don't think they'll be counting that especially considering they're real madrid so um you know this is this is their one last chance to kind of mess with barcelona a little bit um mm. obviously lifting the champions league trophy would help as well um let's move on to more locally toronto fc um they tied the Chicago Fire 2-2 um, on Saturday and um, you know this was kind of old Toronto FC showing back up they they looked really that first half was incredibly dominant it could have been more than 2-0 I think yeah. um, they had all kinds of chances obviously they had a goal called back as well um, but then seemed to run out of steam and uh, at the end of course Alan Gordon which which kind of makes it the old Toronto FC is having <laughs> that former player come back and score a big goal against them and uh, um, you know that's Alan Gordon's thing he scores a lot of late goals um, so doing that again this was an interesting one for Toronto FC and a, a tough one because now they're you know, still last in the league, and um, you know you really would have wanted to win this one to kind of kickstart form in the league as well. Yeah, when you look at the run they've got now of kind of having, is it five of six or four or five home games? I think they um, five of six. Five of six. Yeah, this would have been a nice one to get that kind of started. They need to put points on the board um, over the course of this run because we know that they go on the road uh, over the summer, which is going to be a tough stretch. So, I, I think it's. You know, it's, it's not a period of the season that's kind of really going to define the year because obviously there's still plenty of time left. But it's a period of the season that if they can have a strong run and get themselves back up into that playoff picture quickly, it kind of eases the way for them the rest of the year in terms of potentially giving Javinko and, and Bradley, if he can be persuaded, a few minutes off. Um, <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that CONCACAF Champions League which Greg Vanny said was like almost like a whole season in terms of the emotions and the, the physical exertions um, so you know you don't really want to still be having to look up the table and, and chase those playoff positions 
um, through the tough run on the road over the summer. So this stretch is kind of important. It's not the be all and end all, but it would really help them um, smooth out the rest of the way uh, and, and maybe peak again come playoff time. I think it's pretty safe to say Michael Bradley has done a fantastic job at, as a fill-in at center back, um, as well as Greg Vanderveel stepping back there. I think mm-hmm. that could end up being his permanent position, at least for the time being. But um, you almost saw how, um, you know, with such an inexperienced back line, they haven't played a lot of time together. Um, they kind of struggled in those last few minutes, and uh, you almost wonder if they had more of their guys back, and they are coming back soon. It sounds like Eric Zavaleta's um, close to returning. Nick Hagland as well is close to returning, and Chris Mavinga. So um, good news on the injury front for Toronto FC after just a terrible stretch. <laughs> yeah. Or it seemed like everyone got hurt, especially anyone who had a CV next to their name. Um, <laughs> so, But, you know, how much does that make a difference that they didn't have, um, you know, any center backs in that game? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. They probably would have won the game if they just had one of them in there because, you know, Chicago moved Schweinsteiger forward from a defense and he essentially started loading crosses into the box and, and they tried to see what would drop and what would come out of it. And, you know, when you have Bradley, who's not a central defender, you have Van der Weel, who's maybe not a big physically dominant player. And then they had Jason Hernandez to bring off the bench, who's, you know, about as small a sense back as, as it gets, really. He's yeah. not a big aerial presence. Um, so it really wasn't an ideal situation, and Chicago sensed that and, and took advantage of it. And you know, Alan Gordon is obviously <laughs> the ultimate. You know, put the ball in the box and see what happens, kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if there are positives to be taken out of this game, Victor Vasquez did look back to himself a little bit. Yeah, uh, scored a goal, had an assist. Uh, I, at first, I thought the goal was you know an incredible chip, but uh, upon replay, I'm kind of persuaded that he was uh, he was looking back post for Nico Hasler, so maybe not the uh, not the <laughs> incredible goal that I thought it was at first, but nonetheless, I mean, he was very influential at least in the first half of that match. Um, how important is that, especially with the injury to Josie Altador and uh, you know all the other absences in the club to have that veteran presence back? Yeah, crucial. Like he's he's just good for like a couple of chances a game. He's going to create you. Um, I think especially in MLS where there's a bit more time and space. You know, Vasquez can kind of have his way with teams. Really, um, Champions League was a bit tighter and cagier, and it actually would have been interesting to see uh, how Vasquez kind of played in that competition when there's there is less time and space. But mm. we didn't really get a chance to see that too much. Um, but in MLS, he's he's obviously vital, and you know his connection with Javinko is is there for all to see. Um, so yeah, he he is a, a big, you know, the fact that I don't think he's fully over that uh, back problem, but he seems to be getting closer, and he was moving a lot more with a lot more freedom, um, so that helps Toronto a lot, and you know, particularly for for a run of home games where they need to break teams down. And we talked about that lack of depth, or the fact that they've got so many injuries, and um, you know, obviously that pushes players onto the field and. Um, that kind of affects the bench a little bit. I've been kind of noticing recently that they haven't had the same punch off the bench that they've had no. at times during last season, and I, I think some of that's down to Toe St. Ricketts not really looking himself through right. the first part of the season, and um, that doesn't help as well. I mean, like like we said, they, they were holding that lead late, and they don't really have um, a player right now who's coming off the bench and making a big impact and um, kind of able to change games and take some of the pressure off them. Yeah, like Ricketts did this a little bit last season where he started a little slow and then kind of he got his chance in that, that road stretch where they went to Columbus and, and started getting out, um, you know, into the swing of things a bit more. But it's been interesting this year that um, it's not just been a case of Ricketts starting slowly and not playing especially well. 
but Greg Vanny has even gone to Jordan Hamilton over him um, on a couple of occasions now mm. and obviously most notably in the Champions League final so yeah. that's an interesting one to watch because you know Hamilton's he, he seems to have stalled a little bit like in, in my eyes yeah. I don't think since last summer really he's he's pushed on he hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities but even when you see him with TFC2 um, he played one game earlier this year you know he's he's not he doesn't seem really like in hot form right now so that's been kind of an interesting one that even with that being the case he's still getting a few uh, minutes ahead of Ricketts right now yeah, Hamilton's kind of a player who when he's not scoring um, he's not yeah that, that's yeah. what Greg Vanny's always said about him is he wants him to become more multi-dimensional and he has created a couple of chances this year I can remember um, especially in that Colorado game he, he had some good crosses and, and such and yeah. um, I was it the Champions League game where he set up Delgado and Delgado uh, put it over? Not the obviously now infamous moment, but I think there he's had he's right. created some chances. But um, I'd agree he hasn't um, when he's not scoring. He's one of those players who um, doesn't necessarily provide all that much. And yeah, when you have both of your strikers coming off the bench, um, not in the best form, it it doesn't help things that are already. Uh, tough right now for Toronto FC. Um, another thing they're dealing with, of course, and um, while you do have those five of six uh, at home, as you mentioned, um, it becomes difficult when uh, the pitch isn't all that great. And, uh, yeah. The comfortability of uh, that home field is kind of diminished a little bit when you're playing on such a bad surface. And I know um, we talked to Michael Bradley uh, after the Chicago match, and all he would say was choppy. Uh, John Molinaro of Sportsnet even offered him kind of an opportunity to to you yeah. know say uh, give some some quotes about the grounds crew and yeah uh, kind of make the defense that exactly he did, but he, did uh, <laughs> he, he didn't really do that um, and I don't think he'd blame them necessarily but uh, I really don't think this is an ideal situation right now no and I, I read something yesterday from from Neil Davidson of Canadian Press where he he talked to the grounds crew and it basically sounded like if they could do it again they would relay the pitch after MLS Cup last year which they didn't do because they weren't sure if it would take, uh, you know, over the winter. So they're playing on last season's pitch, and then it's been battered by the the weather as well. Um, so it sounds like there's maybe a few lessons in there for, for TFC next year. Um, but obviously this winter has been especially long and, and arduous and hopefully won't be the norm every year. Yeah, hopefully just for, for off-pitch reasons <laughs> yeah, too. I know, yeah. uh, it's nice to, to finally have some warm weather again for sure. Um and uh, one of the things that has also cropped up during this time, and you had a really good article about this on uh, the TFC report, is the Sebastian Jovinko contract situation yeah. and how, um, despite you know, uh, the, the easy inclination to just say, sign the man and give him <laughs> the uh, Andres Iniesta um, lifetime contract, yeah. um, they don't have a salary cap at Barcelona, <laughs> and they have a lot bigger of a payroll. So, uh, and they don't have DP slots, which is probably the most important thing in all of this. Um, so, you know, you mentioned this could get ugly. Um, you know, what do you make of this situation and how it's potentially going to play out over the next couple of months? Yes, it's a tough one because you've got to negotiate contracts, and, and Jovinko wants to negotiate it now because he wants to know that he's going to stay here, and you've got to be doing that while he's playing fantastically well like I think he's playing as well as he has since 2015 right now mm -hmm. um, and you've got a negotiated contract for 20, uh, 2020 right yeah. so like it's, it's a long way down the line and, mm -hmm. and he's obviously on the wrong side of the aging curve now and so you kind of have to be very diplomatic about how you say 
you know, we want to keep you here, we want to reward you and, and so on, but you are earning a lot of money for the soccer you're playing right now. You know, that is your reward yeah, yeah. for what you're doing now. <laughs> um, and so they have to be smart and, and look down the line and look at what he's going to be worth and how he's going to fit in um, at age 33 and up. And, you know, they certainly, I don't think, will give him another £7 million a year contract. But I, I just don't see Jovinko being willing to go down to TAM money. You know, I think he maybe goes down to 3 or £4 million and accepts that. Um, but I don't see him going down to town money, and so that's going to be the real tricky situation. Is he's you know he's probably not going to be worth that DP slot yeah. at age thirty four and thirty five, or at mm-hmm. least if you t- look at it objectively, he's not going to be the absolute best use of that DP slot. Um, so it's it's a really tricky one for TFC to manage because they want to you know show their loyalty to players who have given them so much, but they also want to make sure the team. Um, stays competitive in a league that's getting better and better so it's going to be one that you know it's not only difficult to get that contract right for 2020 and 2021 but it's also difficult to manage the situation this year and next and not you know upset Javinko along the way Will there be another check signing celebration at uh, BMO Field after Javinko <laughs> scores? Yeah exactly well, <laughs> he's got his um line of, of new uh, hats and stuff uh, like that as well now. So he, things, yeah. he seems to be putting himself in the public eye a little bit more, <laughs> so that'll be interesting um, obviously tomorrow uh, Toronto FC are taking on the Philadelphia Union um, in what will be another interesting home game um, I think the, the term must win is definitely overused in sports, um, especially if this game's really not must win but this feels like a really important one considering the opponent and the uh, uh, yeah, exactly. the the home The home game and the fact that you know the Philadelphia Union really aren't the best side, and that yeah, yeah, seems like an easy way to kickstart a season. Yeah, it's not a must win, but it's a would be really helpful to win kind of game. Yeah, like yeah. It, it would get them going. Um, the tough thing is going to be if they go with the same centre back pairing. They've got to deal with CJ Sapong, who obviously could give them some issues aerially and on crosses. So yeah, that'll be the test. But it's. It's definitely a game they should be expecting to win, for sure. How important do you think this week was, even for Toronto FC, to... Obviously, there was the super quick turnaround. They returned from Guadalajara, and right away they got to play the Chicago Fire and got to get back into league games. And um, Especially for that game, it's got to be almost impossible to get up for it right, in the same right. way. Um, you know, I think I, I think I heard, or I, I remember you writing something about taking a couple of days to just feel sorry about them <laughs> yeah. for themselves, and yeah. uh, how important is that for over the next couple of days that maybe they can kind of refocus and um, get ready for the task at hand? Yeah, over the next few weeks, they're going to have a chance to actually, like, practice and work on things, which is <laughs> <concept>. obviously <laughs> which is obviously really helpful. Um, this week, I think... They normally come in for what they call their regen day on the Sunday after a Saturday game. Mm-hmm. I think they gave them Sunday off this week and came in on Monday for that. And then you have a Friday game, so it's been a little bit of bridge st- still. Um, but they should have had a chance, obviously, to get out on the field. And, and obviously the weather's getting nicer and, and work on a few things that, that, that they need to work on. And You know, they had that uh, this time last year where they were kind of close, but not really getting over the line in terms of results. And they had a few things to iron out and... And when, when they're able to do that and, and have a few weeks without midweek games, that really helped them. So 
should be the same again here, I think. I think Greg Valley's good at, you know, identifying issues and, and working through them. Let's talk about the other two Canadian teams in MLS. We don't do that a whole lot on this show, but um, with, you know, the European season's kind of uh, slowing down a little bit, we have a bit of an opportunity now. And uh, it's been definitely an interesting year in both Montreal and Vancouver. And uh, interesting, I'd say, in a lot of bad ways. And um, <laughs> Vancouver... You know, they have a pretty good record. I mean, they're third in the West, but uh, if you look at expected goals and a lot of the underlying numbers, mm-hmm. uh, they're getting a little lucky. And uh, they all, they're they just a team that, um, you know, they've had a ton of red cards. They just seem a little bit dysfunctional right now. Um, you know, I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch the Whitecaps this year, but uh, what have you made of their season so far? Because it's definitely been interesting. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a great situation there in terms of how the fans are reacting to Carl Robinson now. Mm. Um, I think the kind of interesting thing there is there's maybe been an acceptance that the style of play isn't going to be fantastic in previous years because they're not, you know, one of the highest budget teams. Yeah. Now I think you can kind of see, you know, they brought in Kai Kamara. Obviously, they signed mm. uh, a couple of you know, reasonably expensive players from yeah. South and Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, Alfonso Davis is, is really coming into his own. And so that may, that kind of um, agricultural style of play, <laughs> if you want, if you like, is maybe not going to wash as much now yeah. because they seem to have a bit more talent there and, you know, the expectation levels are going up. So it'll be interesting to see if he can, if Carl Robinson can kind of, um, you know, open up that attacking potential a bit because I think the fans are going to start to expect it now. Let's talk about Alfonso Davies because I really think he's taken a huge next step this season and some of that has been opportunity. Um, interestingly, Carl Robinson insists at playing him at the left-back position, which in some ways I I don't think uh, is the worst thing because he's learning defensive responsibility, but yeah. also, I mean, he's your best attacking player right yeah. now, honestly. You want to move him further up the pitch and you know, even at such a young age, uh, he's second in MLS right now in dribbles and sometimes he just makes it look effortless with the way he's able to beat mm-hmm players even at that age so uh, what have you made of him kind of taking a step forward this year and um, really honestly you know he's one of Vancouver's best players at just 17. Yeah it's like you said he just has an ability to go past players with very little effort which is pretty uh, pretty rare quality and, and obviously especially among Canadians <laughs> especially among Canadians and, and it's one that you know really can unlock the rest of the game for you if you can just take that one player out of things. Um, but yeah, I've liked what I've seen from him a lot this year. He's you know he's driving at the box. He seems really confident in the final third. He's not just kind of taking the cross from an outside position, although he is quite good at those as well. Yeah. You know he's he's getting closer to goal. So um, he's definitely pushed on since the Gold Cup, and and yeah, he's continuing to look like a hugely exciting player. Let's move on to Montreal now. Um... I think we knew this season was going to be a little bit difficult for Montreal. Obviously, they're in a bit of a transition period of, under Remy Gard, but uh, they did have a couple of good results. Obviously, they beat Toronto FC 1-0 mm-hmm. um, and looked pretty you know, full value for it. And um, they brought in some good players uh, as well. So um, there was almost a, a bit of wonder that, you know, potentially this team uh, might be able to turn it around and, um, you know, at least become a playoff team. But since then, things have, have kind of, uh, you know, unraveled a little bit. And I know we were watching uh, the Atlanta yeah. uh, Montreal game in the press box. And the second it went to 1 1, I think I said, this one's going to end 4 1. And yeah, it was I predictable. got a little bit lucky. But uh, yeah, like you said it is predictable that that kind of thing happens they're uh they're a team that you know they're giving up all kinds of chances right now they're not creating a whole bunch of chances themselves um it's just not a great situation in montreal right now 
No, to be fair, in the Atlanta game, I thought their defence did okay for you know 60 minutes or so, and, and they had chances up front which they didn't take. Yeah. Um, and it maybe could have been different, but yeah, there was that sense of inevitability while it when it stayed one nil that Atlanta were going to get back into it and find a way. And obviously now we have a situation which is kind of interesting from Toronto's perspective of Raheem Edwards. Yeah. Um, getting some pretty harsh words from from Remy Gard about his attitude and, and commitment as well. So, you know, it was always, as you say, it was always going to be a bit of a rebuilding process. But you know, it's, it's one of those teams where things can kind of there's not necessarily a ton of patience and a ton of uh, you know acceptance of this could take like an entire year to to really get right, which is a bit like TFC can be as well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, from Canadian teams that already exist uh, to a bunch of new Canadian teams that could be joining them very soon. Um, yeah. Joey Alfieri of uh, TSN 690 reported yesterday that uh, the original eight teams that will be joining the Canadian Premier League, and obviously uh, this is just a report at this this time, but yeah. I mean a lot of them make sense. Um, those teams being Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, BC, Hamilton, Halifax, Ottawa, and York. A couple of those confirmed already. York's all but confirmed, and so is Halifax. I mean, they have a stadium on the go. So mm-hmm. um, I think these are, you know, I think the best news, of course, is having Edmonton and Ottawa involved uh, because they're already established teams. They've got, um, obviously, Edmonton took a break, but they have the infrastructure there. Uh, they know how to run a team at a reasonably high level. So um, I think this is good news, honestly. I think that's a, a decent uh, smattering of teams across the country. Yeah, it's a nice list for sure. Um, I, as you say, I think the the interesting one is, is Edmonton and particularly Ottawa because you know, it seems like maybe they're angling to, to leave the USL for the Canadian Premier League, which would mm-hmm. be fantastic news for the CPL. And you can see in, you know, with Julian de Guzman kind of taking over the, the reins there and, you know, all the Canadian players they've signed. Yeah. Um, they're kind of angling that way a little bit, it feels like. So, yeah, it's a good list. Um, you've got some, obviously, you know, the, the major markets outside of the big three, but then you've still got York and potentially, it looks like it might be Surrey for a BC team. Mm-hmm. So, you're kind of getting into those big cities as well. So, yeah, it's an exciting list, and I believe um, the announcements are going to follow pretty soon in terms of naming the teams officially, so it should be a good time. Yeah, Alfieri said uh, this weekend could be uh, when yeah. they make those uh, those announcements, uh, but we all know with the, the Canadian Premier League uh, announcements don't <laughs> always uh, follow the schedule. It sounds like there has been some situations beyond their control uh, in mm. terms of those announcements, but um, not a lot has come out yet. Um, York 9 is the interesting one for me because mm. um, especially we talk about Toronto FC and them saying don't try it. Don't try Toronto. <laughs> um, and obviously that's very self-serving. And um, I think if you didn't have Toronto at all in this league, it would be, you know, a huge mistake. Um, you know, what do you make of that and the potential uh, relationship with Toronto FC? Because I know they wanted to be involved in this league, but they really wanted to put, uh, I think it was TFC 3 or something like that in yeah, the league. Yeah, that was never going to um, really. Yeah, I, do, I don't think that's a good idea because, you know, you want the legitimacy of this league. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't look good. So uh, what do you make of that potential relationship? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I, I think there must have been a temptation to take TFC 2 if that was an offer and maybe you could rename it so it was less of a B team mm-hmm. just because you know with MLSE and then their resources you have a team that you don't have to worry about financially you know you know that's gonna 
that's not going to struggle. Um, but at the same time, you can you can totally see the argument that they don't want reserve teams and they don't want teams that are going to have players going up and down um, between the two leagues. Um, and it, and it also seems like they're maybe not desperate to go after the big urban centres either. You know, try and create more community clubs um, potentially in smaller areas. And there's a lot of places you can go. You know, from York and Hamilton to Mississauga and London and places like that around uh, the GTA. So I think that's probably what they'll look to target more. And the Campiel, they they released a bunch of its initial branding. Um, I honestly like the logo. I know a lot of people say it looks like a hospital logo, and I can <laughs> I can kind of see <laughs> that. I mean, that one. <laughs> the color schemes, especially with the the blue and and the uh, the green. I wonder if that ends up being changed. But um, it is kind of exciting to see. You know, they they are taking steps forward and. Um, you know, we don't know all that much, and evidently the business model is the most important part of this yeah. league. But um, it, it does seem like things are on the right track, and they're doing this in the right way and bringing in um, experienced people who know what they're doing. Yeah, you get the general impression that it's being run in a professional way and it's mm-hmm. not kind of chaotic, even if it seems like for us that things are happening very slowly. That's obviously intentional and deliberate. So it, it seems promising. You know, I, I talked to Tosin Ricketts about. You know, kind of his impressions this week, and and he said it seemed like it was being done in a very professional way, and you know he was pretty positive about it, and that seems to be the general vibe among, um, you know, current Canadian players. So, yeah, I, th- I think the signs are good right now. Let's talk quickly about a team that. Um, they're probably going to be in the Campiel. I mean, Calgary is rumored, and uh, we know they definitely have interest. Uh, Calgary Foothills and the situation with the uh, Canadian yeah. women's national team keeper, Steph LeBay, who um, she was on trial with the, the Foothills. They're a U23 team, but they're allowed to have uh, so many players over um, that age. And she was one of the players they brought in, and she made the team. Uh, Chris Manella's, or not Chris Manella, um, who's, the, who's the Vancouver keeper? I'm blanking. Um, um, Vancouver Whitecaps? Yeah, the former Vancouver. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to it later. <laughs> I'll Google it. But um, the, uh, you know, she was, uh, she made the team, um, and there's a lot of quality keepers there. So, um, you know, and then the PDL says you can't play because you're a woman. Um, I, I can kind of see their argument, but honestly, you know, it's 2018. This seems like a really short-sighted decision by the league. I, I don't get it at all. Like, like what are they expecting is going to happen? Like, a load of female players are going to start pouring into the league and, and taking the men's jobs. Like, for me, this is something that's entirely, like, a competitive motivation for her. Like, she could play in a lot more comfortable circumstances and environment if she went to Europe or if she played in the NWSL. Like, with all due respect to, to the PDL, it's not like... A, a dream place for, for people to, to kind of go and play, you know, so it, it, it seems bizarre to me that, like, they wouldn't allow her, having trialled and earned her place on the roster, to play um, you know, even beyond the kind of do the right thing aspect of it it's also, like, how much of the interest in Calgary Foothills this season do you think has been a product of Steph Labe? You yeah, know, it's like, it's a good thing for the league in terms of drawing attention to it and, um I don't understand it from from any perspective, to be honest. Marco Carducci, that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Sorry, that's I didn't the, help uh, you out. No, no, no problem. <laughs> um, I just drew a blank there. And uh, Chris Manello, there's a lot of these uh, yeah, these yeah. periphery uh, former MLS Academy guys floating yeah. around. So, um, 
Yeah, that's the that's the keeper I was looking for. Um, let's move on to our final segment, that being our crazy soccer story of the week. And um, this one's coming out of Turkey again. We've had a lot of <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of stories out of Turkey recently, which uh, uh, I think this one makes a lot of sense. And it's a it's a fan of a Turkish second division club who uh, he got banned for one year. Uh, we we didn't find out what he got banned for, which would be interesting. <laughs> I tried to do some research into that, but couldn't figure it out. Um, but to get around this band, he basically uh, he brought a crane to the game, like reached it up over the stands and uh, had a team flag there and was just watching the game casually, um, which was rather hilarious. Uh, local police eventually got him to leave, but uh, his team did win a big relegation battle game. Um, yeah, is this uh, you know, is this one of the most creative ways you've seen to watch a game? Uh, yeah, and I was I was looking at the pictures and like it didn't really seem that necessary. Yeah, like, to hire a crane. Like it wasn't a big stadium. No, I don't think the entire stadium was covered with like seats. Yeah, and it's like an athletic track, mm-hmm. so it it was extreme for sure. But it kind of looked like the kind of stadium you might see in the Canadian Premier League. So maybe there's a bit of inspiration there. And <laughs> hopefully, no one gets banned in the no. first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anytime the X is uh, in town at BMO Field, I almost there's those like. Um, those rides that go up right, for a yeah. second and then drop, and I almost wonder if you just pay them to put it on loop and watch yeah. the TFC game that yeah. way. But that'd I'd probably sit be people at the top and just stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd probably be more expensive than uh, than actually just buying a ticket. But yeah, yeah, I get but, it. seems kind of extreme. Yeah, he yeah. had to do this. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe if this guy uh, <laughs> this guy um, comes over to Canada, he'll try that. They actually have mm. one game left. Uh, I think they need a draw to stay up. So okay. maybe he's got uh, something else up his sleeve. For this next week, but well, um, if it's got an unbeaten record, then why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that wraps up uh, this week's edition of the Footy Talks Live podcast. We've got our Footy Talks event tonight. I'm pretty excited for that. Um, also, announcing the fact that uh, there will be a live podcast, not at this Footy Talks, but the next one. So I'm going to be doing this podcast live there. Uh, pretty excited about that. Pretty excited to meet all of you in person and continue this conversation. Have a great week, everyone.